welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, Really? A Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeyset. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests. And help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, from the sublime to the ridiculous and everything in between. This week's guest is Kathleen Llewellyn. She's here to help us truly understand how as leaders we can elevate our lives and truly become aware of what we can offer and our true potential. Wonderful. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you can find more information about Catherine in the downloads available alongside this podcast. Visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk for all of that great info about Catherine. So Catherine, let's get into our questions we have today. We're at the start of a new year. Some For some, it started well. It started with a good pace. I can honestly tell you mine has started incredibly slowly. I'm getting over some terrible flu symptoms. But back to the question, with that start of a new year, unfortunately, from an external perspective, looking at the economy, looking at political environments, looking across the world and the kind of stability we'd like to see, unfortunately, things are looking pretty uncertain. What, in your view, is the kind of leadership that we do really need right now? Well, the word that comes up immediately is resilient. I think all leaders are under an enormous pressure at the moment from all directions, all those things you listed just then. Being a leader is always challenging because you're always the person who's expected to know where we're going and to somehow be embodying that and, and taking everybody with you. It's always a challenge, but at the moment it's particularly challenging because of all of the unknowns around us. It's very difficult to plan. And it's also very difficult to uh, inspire people and help people to feel good about where we're going because an awful lot of people are still nursing exhaustion, trauma, disappointment, and some remnants of fear and so forth from the last few years. And so knowing where we're going is difficult, knowing how we're gonna get there is difficult and knowing how to enroll people in that direction is particularly difficult at the moment. So. I would say resilient. So leaders need to be really getting a lot of sleep, eating properly, looking after themselves, exercising, spending time with loved ones. They need to be really looking after their own state and their own resilience. And they need to be aware, I think, that there's only so much that it's possible to focus on at the moment at a time. Because when things are hard, you, you can't do everything all at once. So I would say resilience and also relevancy, really focusing on what's absolutely relevant and important and not trying to cover everything off, which to some leaders is going to feel like going backwards. But actually, that sort of simplification, I think, is very important right now. Building on that response of resilience bit, you spoke about sleep, you spoke about looking after yourselves. For most corporate leaders, that sort of sometimes feels impossible. Yeah. You know, everything has got to be done, the pressure is on, the buck stops with you, all of those sort of things. Mm. To those people, and we know sometimes those blinkers go on through fear, but to those leaders who are sitting there going, well, I can't get more sleep. I can't stop doing stuff. You don't understand. You don't get it. I just got to do, do, do. What's the one thing that that person could do today that would actually give them that little bit of headspace to step back and go, okay, actually, 
I've got to put me first in order to be able to be the leader I want to be. Well, they need to stop for five minutes, just literally stop for five minutes. I did a session once years back. They were going to be doing some quite interesting research into their organizational culture. And I turned up to work with them and we were all in a circle. I said, right, the first thing we're going to do today is sit here for five minutes in silence before we begin. So they spent 15 minutes trying to argue as to why we shouldn't do that. And then we spent five minutes sitting in silence. And afterwards they told me this was the most memorable part of the entire session. And in fact, it remained the most memorable part of the entire program, which it's not because the program was bad or pointless. It's because that was the most unusual thing. And these guys were always running, running, running. And when we actually stop and actually consider how we're feeling and notice our breathing for a moment, (laughs) how am I? Sometimes it can be a bit of a surprise to notice, oh my God, I'm actually exhausted and I hadn't realized. Or I'm actually fed up or, or actually I'm quite happy or whatever it is. So really the first thing to do is just stop for a minute and, and, and reflect, which actually anybody can do. How do you give your clients permission to do that? It sounds like a stupid thing when we're talking about adults, Mm. but a lot of time we don't feel as though we have the permission to stop. Yeah. And how can leaders also give that permission to the people who they serve? Mm. Well, first they've got to make friends with it themselves. You know, I've seen leaders try to pass this down line without first making friends with it themselves. And that does not work. So first they've got to do that. When I'm working with clients, if somebody is, is, is really in that kind of driven state, then sometimes we'll literally sit here on the Zoom and I'll just say, right, we're just going to be in silence for five minutes. I'll put the timer on, you know, and, and I'll say, look, this might feel like more than five minutes, but I promise you the timer is on. It really is. Okay, and then we'll just sit there for five minutes. And then the time will go off and then we'll talk about what that was like. And people really, really appreciate it, actually, when that happens. And that very often that can then get built into their assignments that they're going to be doing in between sessions to literally do that. You know, go outside and sit on the bench at lunchtime. Take a few moments. Lock yourself in the executive loo if you have to, you know, to stop people coming up and asking you questions, which... Often in corporate situations, there's just no respite. But what about at home, people say? You know, the kids need me. My wife needs me. I used to have a thing years ago when I was out all over the countryside working with clients. And I would come home and my partner and I quickly came to an understanding that for the first 60 minutes after I got home, we didn't talk to each other. That first 60 minutes was just for me to decompress. And then we would connect up with each other. Now, 60 minutes is quite a long time, but I needed it because I was literally up and down the motorway. But it took us a couple of months to to realise that's what we needed to do. And then we put it in place. But we had to sort of accept the fact that we needed a bit more space. And it gave him a bit more space to get used to me being in the house, clattering about and unpacking stuff. And, you know, you started to look at how you allow and give the mandate for execs to make that kind of time so maybe Mm. if we can talk about your practice a little bit more and and looking at what you do and how you position yourself I was really interested that you talk about 
being a type A wrangler and specifically how you say that you help high achievers leverage opportunities. Mm -hmm. Could you maybe help the listeners help us understand how you go about that clearly respecting your clients and their anonymity, how you go about that and how you help your clients make those kind of significant shifts. I'm sure there's going to be lots you'll draw on and reference again, but I think it's now thinking about how results are made. So working back from that impact to how you go about it and how you help them unlock that. Yeah. So type A people, and of course it's not just type A, but that's a good hook so that people know what we're talking about is people who are actually highly successful and highly autonomous and individualistic actually, and quite rugged. So those people have got an extraordinary set of capabilities and capacities, and they actually manage to accomplish an awful lot without any help whatsoever from someone like me. However, those people, if they're smart, and very often they are very smart people, come to a point where they realize that I could possibly leverage things even more if I had a bit of expert assistance in regard to my own potential and how I apply that potential. A bit like someone who decides to get a personal trainer at the gym who will just literally help them to pace themselves a bit more accurately and emphasize the things that are most fruitful to be emphasized, not just do the same old routine. So when I'm working with people, I'm initially spending some time helping them to really identify and articulate the extraordinary unique strengths and capabilities that they already have and how they are already utilizing those to good effect. And then looking at the possibility of utilizing those much more fully, simply as a result of understanding them better. And in many cases, they then start bringing in strengths that they don't normally use at work. So the strengths that they use at home or in their tennis club or all, all the various things that they're involved with, where they've got various strengths that they utilize that, that they don't necessarily bring to work normally, but that can be very, very usefully carried across. So that's one of the first things that we do, really bottoming out what are the assets and resources that you already have, coming from a place of assuming that you're already absolutely fabulous as you are, which these people are and I genuinely like them and genuinely appreciate them, which I think is helpful for them. Because a lot of these people are surrounded by other people, some of whom are women, who are badgering them to bring up their feminine side and be a bit softer and be a bit more empathetic. Well, maybe doing those things would be useful for them, but badgering them to do it is not the way. The, the way is to actually say to them, but what about all this wonderful stuff you have already? And then from that looking at, okay, what's the direction? What's the direction you're going in at the moment? And is does that really fulfill your inner passion and your inner aspiration? And in most cases, it's pretty much in alignment with that, but it may not be absolutely in alignment and in sync with that. And there are elements of what they really, really want in their lives and for their business that they may not have brought into conscious awareness. Some of which actually is stuff from their childhood that they were really into back then, but have dropped because they're a grown up now. And what's more, they're a type A grown up, you know, so you can't be too playful and you can't be too fantastical. So 
when we bring all that back in, then someone can put together a purpose or, if you like, a mission, which is, on the surface of it, it looks very similar to the one they had before they met me, but it's actually much more potent. And very often it has ingredients in that they might not have thought to put in. So when you put those two things together, you've got a heightened sense of self along with a heightened sense of direction. And we then combine those. And then you've got like a weapon of success, frankly, that that becomes very, very exciting for them. So it's then almost automatic. We We then basically pick off key opportunities that they have in their life. And we marry with those key opportunities, the particular strengths and capabilities that that lend themselves best to that particular opportunity. So they're utilizing their inner assets strategically toward their strategic aims. So it's, it's, I'll say the word strategic yet again, it's a very strategic use of one's inner resources to get the result that, that you want. And of course, because we're doing it in the way I've just described, it's relatively effortless because they're, they're building on the levers that are already there. They're not working against them. They're not trying to get rid of weaknesses. They're not trying to fix themselves. And this is where, I mean, I love your title, Defy Expectations. This is when they go beyond their expectations because their expectations are based on a limited self-perception and a limited self-ambition. So when we've elevated both of those, obviously they go, they, they go beyond the expectations. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Yes, You Now is the name of your business, which I absolutely love because actually, you know, and what you've just spoken about now is around that sort of clarity and vision of who Mm. you are. You know, I'm a believer that the more aware we become, the better we actually become as a leader. And I think that's very much part of the essence that you're talking about here. So talking about those aspects of, self-awareness true understanding of who you are understanding what you could be and also I love the concept of that playfulness going back to your childhood what drove you then yeah because that's going to be far more intrinsically motivating than a new car now yeah Yeah. unless it's a really really fabulous car yeah (laughs) you know a thing of beauty that makes you I mean I, I used to drive an Aston Martin I don't know if you've ever driven one but have you ever driven one I have had the pleasure of driving one at a track day and it was pretty impressive. That's right. And, and I used to be driving across the countryside by myself, cackling <laughs> to myself <laughs> because it's, it's such a thing of beauty in and of itself, but also the way it moves yeah. on the road and the view out of it. It's just so much fun. Seriously, seriously fun. Yeah. And that's pure child energy right there. But you are in charge of a very heavy, large machine. So you have to be careful. However, it's really good. So a lot of the things people want now, that the pragmatic things like the car, come from like a child place of enthusiasm. Mm. But you're quite right. Some of the things people are going after, they they don't really make them happy. Yeah. So that concept of pulling it all together, that bringing in that fun, that childhood, that play piece, how can then leaders use that capability to also not just thrive themselves, but help mm. others thrive in today's uncertain times? Such a great question. And I'm quite fortunate in that my father was a very good example. And he was obviously the leader in the family. 
And uh, the basic premise was, if it can be turned into a game, it will be turned into a game. If it can be fun, it will be fun, especially if it's an absolute disaster. That's particularly the time. So if a leader really gets in touch with their natural inner enthusiasm, which of course is a mixture of child enthusiasm, adult enthusiasm, all of those things integrated, if they get in touch with that and they nourish that and they give that free reign, they become more adept at that there's a possibility for that in many situations. So it's like their eyes are opened. So if they're in a board meeting and someone puts up a report saying, you know, floods in such and such part of the world are going to wipe out 50% of our business in that location, right? They don't immediately go into an inevitable slump of despair. They're more likely to go, right, that's really bad news, okay? How can we turn this into an opportunity for creativity, right? How can we have some fun with how we come up with a response to that? How can we connect in with the people in that location, in our organization, and check in with how they are and help them find a slightly more positive response to that? Because they've, they've, they've nurtured that aspect of them that, that realizes in their body, and it's not just an idea, that there's always another way. There's always a lateral way, a creative way, an imaginative way, possibly a playful way to respond. But people only get that when they've actually been practicing it for some time and it's become more like second nature. They can't get it by reading an article in the Harvard Business Review which says be more playful in the boardroom. You know, it, it just, that's not enough. I've had some extraordinary situations working with groups. There was one group I, I had who, I said, right, well, you know, to express what we've just been working on, you guys are gonna create a cameo play to music. I'm gonna leave the room and you've got half an hour to design this, right? And here's some music, right? I came back in, they were all in their suits and over their suits, they were wearing tutus crafted out of flip chart paper. And the ice buckets were being used as sort of helmets like knights, knights helmets. And they'd crafted this extraordinary play <laughs> with music they'd chosen, which I seem to recall was Lorena McKennett, this sort of folky music. And they played this thing out that beautifully expressed what we'd been exploring. Now, they've never forgotten that experience, trust me, and they never will. But they created that themselves. And it was absolutely, it was brilliant. I was gobsmacked, honestly. And so obviously in groups, it's, it's easier to do that because they can then go back to work and carry on in that vein. But you can do it one-to-one -one as well. And you can give people assignments to explore and, and experiment with it in between sessions maybe with their family, maybe with like one colleague to begin with <laughs> carefully, you know, and then come back and report on it next time. Or even sometimes I'll say to people, do something in your living room on your own and video yourself and then send me the video. I'm thinking of, you know, a, a lineup of guys in their gray suits, but beautiful tutus and emptied out buckets on their heads. And I'm trying to picture the music. I'm also thinking of the location as well. I have got a castle somewhere in Wales in mind, maybe. But yeah. we were actually in a it, we were actually in a beautiful hotel in Surrey, I think. You know, one of those expensive meeting rooms in a hotel. Yeah. That, you know that. But the hotel was we a bit every penny because they create this visual result and lineup. Yes. Marvelous. So, Catherine, I'd just like to take you back because you made a really lovely reference earlier and, and made comment of our business name, our brand name, Defy Expectations, mm -hmm. that we're very proud of. 
And we are a bit playful, as Helen says, and our little play around with the Defy Expectations brand and, and, and language is that we like to be a bit defiant. So we talk about defiant pearls of wisdom. Mm. And so with that in mind, we'd like to ask you if you would share with us or pay forward a pearl of defiant wisdom for young people, young leaders who have that those aspirations to follow in footsteps. They've seen other leaders around them, but we'd like you to pay that forward a little bit of defiance. Wow. Well, you don't often have to encourage young people to have a little bit of defiance, do you? Because young people you know, are, are comfortable in the knowledge that they know everything. But yeah, defiance, it's a really interesting word. You know, what are we defying? And what is it that we're about? So I think for young people, if we're looking at defiance, we're looking at people sidestepping the expectation of conformity to what they think other people think they ought to be thinking and doing. That's what we're talking about really, which is interesting in today's climate actually, because there's an awful lot at the moment about what's the mainstream point of view about anything at all. And then do we dare to question that? And do we dare to actually talk about it? And if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I would say for young people, it's a really good idea to, to be asking a lot of questions and to be questioning their own perspective and remaining aware that they don't know everything yet, but there are some things that they do know for sure from their own direct experience. And we talked about childhood earlier. You know, there are things that they do know about what really matters to them and to trust those things that really matter to them. But equally, I would say, a defiant thing for a young person to do is to ask for wisdom from an older person. That's not necessarily what everyone else is doing. That's a very, very smart thing to do. Just call up someone who is a, what I would call an elder and whose wisdom that, per, that the young person admires and just say, look, I'll come and clean your kitchen. Will you give me an hour of your wisdom? I'll cut your grass can I have an hour of your wisdom and record it, you know, listen to it over and over, take notes. So I think, yeah, tr trust what you know, you know, trust what it is that has kind of turned you on and fascinated you and inspired you and have the humility to ask for some wisdom from older people as well. That's where you'll really be defiant because a lot of young people do not consider that as a possibility. And that it's a very smart thing to do. I wish I'd done more of it when I was younger. A really interesting thing about that comment is the value you're putting on that old person's wisdom as well. Yeah. You know, I know as a youngster, I was very fortunate. I had great relationships with my grandparents, but they would just talk at me and I would just nod and smile and go, well, what do you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. But actually what you're suggesting there, clean the kitchen, cut the grass, you're adding value. And therefore we all know that free doesn't actually carry much value nowadays. But if you're saying, look, I value what you want to give to me. I value your experience and I will do something that's useful and appreciated in return. And it's a great concept. It's and I track. love the idea of sidestepping expectations of conformity. Yeah. And I think this, the thing about trade is something which some people take a long time to get hold of, if ever. 
this notion that business works and thrives on the back of mutually beneficial trade. And if people can get their head around that as early as possible and actually work off the back of that, they're much more likely to be successful. A lot of the entrepreneurs I've had on my podcast say things like, I had a paper route when I was eight or 10 or something, and I turned it into a business because I found a way of adding extra value. Then other people wanted to come and do that with me. Before I knew it, I was making money. Or someone who came on and said, everybody wanted my mother's blackberry pies. So I said to my mother, why don't we sell them? And she said, you pick the blackberries, I'll make the pies, you sell them to people. It was a trade, it was a mutual exchange where everybody's benefiting, everyone's getting more out of it than they think they're putting in. Now, that's what really makes a business thrive. When everybody involved feels like they're getting more out of it than they're putting in, you know, the staff, the board, the CEO, and the customers and the suppliers. If everybody feels that way, you've got a thriving business. But if anybody does not feel that way, that's not sustainable. Catherine, thank you for that comment. And I just wanted to follow up on it because it, it puts me in mind of the value, the value rather than a collection of values you speak about here for our business, which is to pay it forward. Yeah. And whilst we've been talking about being defiant, actually we've brought it back to being very much about paying forward. And this idea of, you know, businesses thrive when we pay forward and we do the right thing. And, mm. and the idea also of doing so by consulting and, and asking an elder for advice, that's also doing right by doing good because it's now putting us into the realm of transgenerational diversity even. So really making that a true element of businesses and not just paying verbal homage to it, but actually doing it and paying it forward and weaving it back into the business. Yeah. So we get that magical thriving truly Beautiful. happening. Yeah, beautifully put, exactly. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's been really interesting to hear your approach to help leaders elevates the word you use, but I think it is. It's really step back and understand those strengths that they can build on, not things that they need to remove and destroy, but really building a foundation based on their true passions and loves. Thank you. Pleasure. There's a number of things that have stood out for me. It's been very visual. Apart from the lineup of guys dancing in their flip chart tutus, I've got you in mind driving around the country and you're very flashy Aston Martin. Go, <laughs> go you. And then the other things is there's a lot in the language that you use and you put it across really beautifully. This your description of, of how you unlock these practical shifts, these paradigms, this idea of. And it sounds simple, but I know it takes a lot of effort to do this, this heightened sense of self plus heightened sense of direction mm. allows them to pick their opportunities and kind of marry them to opportunities. Yeah. And that really stood out for me. And I think it will continue to. And there's one other that I have to call out. And, and it made me feel as though we could have each been kind of present in each other's respective previous corporate lives and when I say me I'm meaning Helen and I when we had this wonderful time how we met partnering together being together in an organization and being given this mandate to go forth and bring the best out of people develop find excellence and our view was very similar to your language hmm. we helped people who were already at, already great at what they did be exceptional at it and you said a version of that sentence. So it sort of makes me feel, feel like we've sort of, we've met in a past life, the three of us. Absolutely. 
Fabulous. Thank you so much, Catherine. I also loved the weapon of success was the words you used in terms of marrying that heightened sense of awareness and mm -hmm. direction. And I love that concept because there are times when we do need to fight for it and therefore we do need the weapon uh, and making sure it's the right one and it's going to get us to where we want to go to. Yeah. So yeah. thank you so much for sharing your wisdom for free. We haven't even had to clean your kitchen. Oh, yes, but you've been very nice to me, so I feel we're quits. I, I really appreciated coming on. Thank you so much. So if you've been as inspired as we have been today in our conversations, discussions, and what we've been exploring, please check back in as we're going to be running these sessions regularly. And we cover every aspect of the kind of skills leaders need to continuously develop and evolve to thrive. That beautiful word that we've heard so much today from Catherine. Thank you again to our guests and do look at our website defyexpectations.co.uk which is packed with tips and inspiration on our blog and also links to all of our guests. If you've been inspired as we have please click that follow button and we look forward to being with you again on our next chat. Mm -hmm.